Well, we, we continue our life series today. And uh, as, as we continue it, I, I want to begin by reading to you a newspaper article that I read. And it begins like this. Chippy the parakeet never saw it coming. One second he was peacefully perched in his cage. The next he was sucked in, washed up, and blown over. The problem began when Chippy's owner decided to clean Chippy's cage with a vacuum cleaner. She, was removed, she removed the attachment from the end of the hose and stuck it in the cage. The phone rang, so she turned to pick it up. She barely said hello, and then swap, Chippy got sucked in. The bird owner gasped, put down the phone, turned off the vacuum, and opened the bag, and there was Chippy, still alive but stunned. Boy, you're laughing at this. Somebody didn't think this was funny. Since the bird was covered with dust and soot, she grabbed him and raced to the bathroom, turned on the faucet, and held Chippy under the running water. Then realizing that Chippy was soaked and shivering, she did what any compassionate bird owner would do. She reached for the hairdryer and blasted the pet with hot air. Poor Chippy never knew what hit him. A few days after the trauma, the reporter who initially written about the event contacted Chippy's owner to see how the bird was recovering. Well, she said, Chippy doesn't sing much anymore. He just sits and stares. It's hard not to see why sucked in, washed up, and blown over. That would have stolen anyone's joy, right? Can you relate to this? Anyone felt that way in the past? Yeah, even in 2017. There was a group of psychologists who got together and they began to study what makes somebody more joyful as opposed to someone who makes someone less joyful. And this, this survey, this research done by these professional psychologists was done. And what they found out was extraordinary and something that you wouldn't expect. That it wasn't about attractiveness. It wasn't about wealth. It wasn't about education. It wasn't about anything else but one particular thing they saw over and over and over again in their lives. And that was the fact that there were these well-meaning relationships, real-life relationships, that were connecting them to some, um, some other people in a community. And through that, they saw more joy in these people as opposed to those who were not connected in real-life relationships. Harvard professor Robert Putman, he summarizes all the research that was done, and he says this, the single most common finding from a half-century's research on this finds this, not only um, on this, is that happiness is best predicted by the breadth and depth of one's social connections. So just think about that for a moment. Think about your life. Think about your relationships. That your joy is very well tied to the kind of relationships, the real life relationships that you may have or may not have. There was this community that was experiencing these real-life relationships, this real joy. And so we want to read a summary together as a community this morning and learn from them, discover from them. So I want you to turn to Acts chapter 2, verse 42 in Scripture. If you have a, a smartphone or a Bible that you brought or maybe you don't have either of those, that's okay. There's a Bible in front of you. Grab that out and, and turn in, to Acts chapter 2, verse 42. We'd love for you to turn there. And if you don't own a Bible, we'd love for you just to take the Bible that you found in front of you home with you. Put your name in it. It'd be our gift to you. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42 that we read, 
They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to prayer, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonder and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. So how how do we arrive at such a community like this? Well, if it's true that a river is purest at its source or an inception, then, then we look to this community, this first community of Christians, and we discover a few things. I wanted to just discover three things this morning with you. The first one is, is this community would gather around the life and message of Jesus Christ. You know, I was a skeptic of Jesus and his church. I just saw the church as a bunch of imperfect people. I was right about the imperfect people part. Because I am the most imperfect of all of you, I promise you. But I was wrong about Jesus. That in the, in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, there is transformation. And as I joined the, the throngs of those historians and those alike who have gone before me and will go after me, who, tr- who, who were searching for the case for Christ, I, I, I believed in this Jesus. And I've devote, devoted myself to understanding this Jesus. And this early community, it says in Scripture, they would devote themselves to the teachings of Jesus. It became the bedrock of their relationships. It was the common gathering point of really the life and message of Jesus that they would wrap themselves around. The fact that his atoning death and and bodily resurrection would become their rally cry. We're we're going through this book together called Life Together. And, And we set out as a community, would you read this? It's a book that is written in... Um, a language that we're not used to so often, but it's one of the best books, the best book on Christian community, on real-life relationships that I've read outside of the Bible. And it's written by a man by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer set out with a group of people to set out what does it look like to have true relationships. And if you didn't get a copy of it, we have a few left. We've had to order more because we underestimated the demand that we would have. He would go through this experience with these people and then a little bit later on he would actually be led to the gallows by the Gestapo because he was involved in an assassination attempt against Adolf Hitler. Dietrich, he writes in his book, he says, Christianity means community through Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ. No Christian community is more or less than this. See, and as they gathered around Jesus and what he did for them, their hearts were passionate. And emblazed for their neighborhood and the nations alike. Paul would speak about the same kind of passion in 1 Corinthians. He said, For the love of Christ controls us, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on our behalf. They would discover that where Jesus is, there's a life that's transformed. And I begin to ask the question to myself, when was the last time that, that, that Jesus would really grip my heart? When was the last time that people would question my sanity because of the way that I was passionate, I was radical about this Jesus that they were so passionate about? So as we look into 2017 and, and, and what it has for this community as a whole, first of all, we, we want to gather on and around the life and message of this Jesus Christ. We need, must understand where we belong and whom we belong to. 
this came across the police blotter. An elderly lady did her shopping, and upon returning her car, she found four men in the act of stealing it. So she dropped her bags, drew her handgun, and screamed, I have a gun, and I know how to use it. Get out of the car. So the men jumped out, and they ran for their lives. The lady was shaken and loaded her shopping bags into the car and, and sat down in the driver's seat. But she was so flustered she couldn't get her car keys into the ignition. She tried and she tried and then slowly it dawned on her, this wasn't her car. <laughs> so she jumps out of the car, she grabs her bags, and a few minutes later after searching she finds her car parked five rows down in the aisle. So she loads the bags into her car, she drives to the police station, and she turns herself in. And the sergeant couldn't stop laughing. He pointed to the other counter where the four pale men were reporting a carjacking. They reported a mad elderly woman described as white, less than five feet tall, glasses, curly white hair, and carrying a large handgun. Oh, I love it. See, we need to know what we have and who we belong to. Bonhoeffer would say this, that mourning does not belong to the individual. It belongs to the church, to the triune God, to the Christian family, to the brotherhood. Our gatherings here in this place, they belong to Jesus. And, and so because they belong to Jesus, we'll teach about Jesus. We'll teach about his word and, and the things we found in a creative way, in a dynamic way, but nonetheless, we will teach about it. And, and over the course of this year, we're going to go through some, uh, several different teaching series, discussions, conversations. And some will be topical in nature, but one of the ones that we're going to go through is going to be called Pursued, and we're starting it February 5th, and I cannot wait. And it's going to be about a book of the Bible that I can't wait to introduce, a conversation that will be around the pursuit, the love, the forgiveness of God, the Heavenly Father, towards each and every single one of us. I think it's going to be one that you will be encouraged by, that you'll be inspired by. I also think that you should bring your friends and your coworkers and your family members too. But we're excited about this, and we know that we want this Jesus to show up and, and be known in this place. And then on March 12th, we have another great weekend I'm looking forward to. Is that weekend we're calling Awaken Weekend, where we will have an opportunity to pray and hopefully see the renewal of hearts throughout this community, to the things of Jesus. And I've invited my friend Al Gilbert, who's a, who's a director and leader at our partner through the North American Mission Board, who will come and share. And then our students will also be in that same weekend, but they'll start meeting Friday, Saturday, Sunday. They'll be in homes at night, and they'll be doing activities during the day. Those homes will never smell the same. And, but they'll be gathering together as well and awakening their hearts to the same thing. So let's be sharing this gathering together, inviting our friends, inviting our family members, inviting those that we work with and we live alongside. You know, this Christmas we saw so many people come, over 2,800 people. What would it look like for us to see that on a regular basis here as we gather? We also discover this community that they would grow in Jesus. They'd be growing in Him. If you look back to this, these verses with me, you see words like fellowship and breaking of bread or everything in common or they ate together. They were sincere hearts. And then as they would grow, we would see that they, their lives 
would take a turn to look and, and live more like Jesus, their relationships would be meaningful. See, the, the, their, their relationships were more than just a high and a buy and some chips and salsa. There was real care. There was real encouragement. There was real passion for each other. It wasn't fake that they truly mattered to each other in a way that people couldn't describe. And they knew that it was more than just a once-a-week gathering. It was a fellowship, as, as they would be called. This word means koinonia in the Greek. It's, its meaning is that they would do life all together, one another, meeting together, sharing one another's life with each other. Anne Ortland, she says, the church is not like a bag of marble scraping against one another. It's a bag of grapes being pressed in on one another until sweet wine oozes out. They were committed to growing in this community. And there's all kinds of communities that we can be committed to, right? We can sports communities and we can be committed to restaurant communities and, and online communities and, and neighborhood communities and cookouts and all kinds of different things. Sports community. But, but the greatest community, the one that should be the deepest, the one that be, should be the most clearest is the community that we see here. And as we grow in Jesus, we see more and more like that. A heavy snowstorm would hit this one particular area. And as the snowstorm would hit this area, the, the weight of the snowfall would take these young pine trees and affect them. And this group of young pine trees were all together, and the weight of the snow would weigh down their branches to an extent that it would push their branches together, intertwined to an extent. They would become more one than ever before. But then there were these young pines that were by themselves, and these pines would be weighted down by this huge amount of snowfall. And these branches would break to the ground. They'd fall into dark, cold places all by themselves. See, in Christian community, no one walks alone. But then they, as they would grow in, in Jesus, they would become generous. They're just not keeping it all for themselves. They would give, as they would say. It wasn't communism. They weren't redistributing wealth. That's not what this is about. But there was this voluntary love. After, after what they had been given through Jesus, there was this overflow of generosity that they just want to give back in unbelievable ways. And I can just speak into this, my own, my own life, uh, that when I was in my uh, early 20s, well, in college actually, I didn't have enough to even like pay my own bills or have enough money to eat with or anything of that nature. So to be generous, to give back was kind of crazy, okay, at least for me. But I was challenged by some people. Would you be generous, Ray? Would, would you give back to God? Would you give out what you've been given? And so I kind of went on this generosity journey. And if you track with me, I began to give 2% and then 3% then 4% then 5% and 6% all the way to 10% of my net gross earnings into my early 20s, which was barely nothing, okay? But it was a big step for me. And so I had a buddy of mine who do my taxes and he, he saw the, the amount of my my, my uh, donations to the local church. And he said, oh, I saw that you gave. And I kind of sat up straighter in my seat. Kind of got a little bit. And he said, why didn't you give 10% gross away as opposed to 10% net away? And I said, well, I can't afford it. I mean, you saw how much I made. And he said, well, it all depends if, if you want net blessing or gross blessing. And I said, oh, touche, you know. But that set me on a journey to say, you know, okay, what does it look like for me? And then when I got married to my wife, what does it look like for us to give away more and more and more away to the point where we're giving more away than we're actually keeping? And we're not there yet, but we'd love to be there one day. 
And it's not to say that I'm trying, the preacher's trying to get his hand in your pocket. That's not, that, don't even think that at all. The point is, is that as we give, God blesses. Maybe not financially. They were never these millionaires in this community. But what happens is, as we give, we experience this overflow of his generosity back to us. As this community would grow in Jesus, there was also an evidence by this joy and excitement that was, that was contagious. I was sitting in my office this week working on some things, and I heard this laughter. This just this huge party going on. I thought, okay, where is that party? So I got up literally out of my office, and I started walking around the church trying to find, and I just followed the laughter. And lo and behold, Virginia Markham, should have known it, she's teaching this, this group of people that meets on and during the week. And I, it just looked like so much fun. I just sat down and hung out and joined in with them. It was a great time. And in the early church, they were, they were joyful. They were rejoicing of this hope they had because the things of this earth had grown so strangely dim. But then they would grow and be evidenced by all these things in Jesus. And it inspires me. To look at 2017 and say, what would it look like for me to be growing in Jesus and to be transformed in my life? And our staff is so excited about that. And our leaders are so excited about it. And our elder team is so excited about what does it look like for our church to grow in Jesus like never before? That our, that our student ministry and our children's ministry and even our adult ministry led by John. John is so excited about it. He launched several things he was sharing with me about this week that he wants to launch new groups. New communities of people that are that are going to meet here on uh, this campus on Sunday mornings and are going to meet off campus throughout the week. He also shared that he wants to launch a new uh, curriculum for our groups that will align with our sermon series. Meaning that there will be two options, the one we currently have or the one that will go right along with in step with what we're talking about. And those will be written with the same skill and intensity and, and wisdom that the other is written about. But there will be an option for you. And then John shared about how we want to launch what we call the growth track, which really is just an opportunity for us to see growth and transformation in everyone's life as they learn to, to, to grow in Jesus Christ. And so what the growth track looks like is we want to see you connect into community and then to grow and then finally to lead in ministry. And there's an opportunity for every single person to take a next step. And, and I just want to share real quickly with you that Maybe you're not connected and that, might, that first step might look like just shoulder tapping one of us. Me, perhaps, over in the family room. Just getting to know us. And then maybe that next step is we point you to Discovering Graceland. And from Discovering Graceland, we point you to getting to a group and, and connecting in through service. Getting into a group would look like looking at Alpha, which is a group that just teaches on the fundamentals of the faith. I think it's one of the best things we have. Or it looks like joining one of the existing groups or one of the ones that are launching soon. But, but those groups are a little larger, and that's there for a reason, because everybody loves a party. But even in a more in, in small environment, there are these D groups that we're going to launch within the groups, circles within circles, if you will, that will accelerate spiritual transformation. That there will three to five same gender type of environment where we'll walk in step with one another. Currently, I'm leading a D group, and I'm loving it. My group is meeting uh, soon. If you're interested in one of these D groups, February the 5th, I think it's Super Bowl Sunday, for lunch, we'll feed you right before the game. You'll have plenty of time to get back. We'd love to ask and, and um, have any questions for, uh, that you may have. And then finally, to lead in ministry, to take people and say, you know, how can we develop you into a, a leader of leaders where you can really begin to serve and lead in new and exciting ways? This really, really excites me.
But then we, we also discovered this Christian community would go unleashing compassion and sharing Jesus with those around them. Jesus would speak to his first team, that team that I spoke about last week, about the first Christian community, his team. He would say, I want you to go out and I want you to be my witnesses. And that team would understand and they would run that play through the power of God. And we see uh, John and Peter, they run that play in Acts chapter 3. One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going to the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, and as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. And when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. And you see, Peter and John, first of all, why are they there for this traditional Jewish prayer? They weren't a part of this Jewish tradition any longer. They weren't bound by these certain uh, liturgical events that man had prescribed, but they were there. Why? Because Jesus had given them a, a heart to go. They could have just sat in their 12 people that they were involved in and been totally comfortable and total happy, but you know what they did? They got outside, stepped out of their own community, and got to know other people. They unleashed compassion and shared Jesus with others. And they listened to the man, discovering what it was truly like to, to, to drill down into what his real needs were. And his real needs were was that he couldn't walk. You know, and I read this and how they listen to him, and I just wonder, do I listen to people? Do I truly understand people and their needs, their greatest needs in their life? It convicts me. And then Peter, he prays for the man. The other day, a friend of mine was telling me about a really funny conversation they had with their child in the backseat of their car. She, she's driving down the road, and um, their child in the back says, does God answer prayer? And the parent said, well, yes, of course God answers prayer. And the child says, well, then why that when you pray for patience for me, God doesn't answer your prayer? The parent thought for a second and said, well, don't you think that when you disobey, that it's frustrating, it's hard to, to parent you? Child not wanting to talk anymore just said, let's just listen to the radio. <laughs> but Peter, you would pray in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And the man would get up. Because whether Jesus, there's a need that's met. Where there is Jesus, there is a need that is met. Whether it's cancer being healed or whether it's someone who can't have children to have children or whether it's as simple as somebody who is in need financially and a group of Christian community come around them and loving on them and pouring into them and eventually seeing that couple get back on their feet or that person get back on their feet or whether it's some kind of an addiction. Where there is Jesus, there is a need that is met. 
And then Peter and John, they're not just concerned about the physical needs, but also the relational needs of this person and God. And this, this person would then thank God, would give glory back to God. And it's re- I think it's really a, a conclusion to what Jesus said, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. You know, one author pointed out that it's, it's like a two-pronged command, like a nutcracker that is essential. You, on one side, you have the good deed. On the other side, you have the light of the good deed and pointing back to God. Perhaps you, you leave here today and you have lunch and then you go to Meyer, or Aldi or wherever you shop, Kroger, okay? And you're standing in line and you're not in the self-help section that never works, but you're in the actual line with a, like an old, you know, a teller, okay? Even though there's only one of them in the whole, I'm not, bit, okay, I'll just move on, okay? So you're standing in line and you have all your things on the conveyor belt and the person in front of you has all these things, but they realize they don't have enough money to pay for it. And so they stay, start taking things off. And you feel prompted, I'm going to pay for their groceries. And so you pay for their groceries and they walk away. And you think to yourself, well, I did my good deed for the day. I was, I, God was glorified. But then they walk away and they think, well, that was the nicest person that I've ever known. But instead of that, might you say, I've been blessed and I want to be a blessing to you because Jesus loves you so very much. And they walk away giving glory to God. They walk away not thinking about you, but thinking about Jesus. And Peter actually, he, he shares and does the same thing. In verse 11, he says, While the man held to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? And then skipping down to verse 16, by faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It's Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him as you can all see. And see, this is the purpose of the church. The purpose of the church isn't sports ministry or benevolence or even social justice. The purpose of the church is to be his witnesses, to share the, the heart of the Heavenly Father. Jesus would say in Luke 15, suppose one of you is a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? See, this is the heart of the Heavenly Father for those who don't know. Jesus also shared about the story of a man who owed a great amount of money, actually 10,000 talents. And that amount of money is like a billion or a trillion dollars. We can't even fa- factor how many zeros that is. So he goes to court and there the man is that, that is owed the money. And so the man that is, is in debt goes up to the man, begs him for forgiveness. And in a shock moment of compassion, the, the man says, your debt is forgiven, you're free. So, I mean, can you imagine being relieved of all that debt? I mean, that guy just cannot wait. He's jumping up and down and excited. And he leaves that courtroom setting. He, woo, I'm free. Yes, I didn't have to pay a cent. It's incredible. No more interest payments. And then he sees a guy right there close to him who owes him five bucks. And he says, hey, you owe me money. I need that money right now. And the guy says, well, I don't have it on me. I'll have to get it to you later. And he says, throw him into debtor's prison. And the people that are hearing Jesus' story like, that's crazy. No one would do that. And that's the point Jesus is trying to make. And the point is, is that when you've been forgiven much, you want other people to know about it too. That as you begin to understand what Jesus has done for you, you can't help but just rise up and you can't help but just share Jesus. And so my prayer would be that I would rise up in 2017, that I would go unleashing compassion and sharing Jesus with those around me. And so for just a few minutes here, I want to share it with you in this place today 
some ways that we want to unleash compassion and share Jesus. The first way we want to share is that we want to have a weekend where we dedicate it just to serving our community with no strings attached like we did last year. How many of you were in Go Serve last year? We had over 400 people participate, and we're going to fine-tune it and make it better, and I would love to see our community step up and serve in that way. Another way is we're going to continue our partnership with Hazelwood Middle School and, and drill down on that even more. Another way is we're going to develop a prison and jail ministry. We begin to to debate that last year, not debate it, but to enter into it. But this year, we really want to focus in on it like never before and, and develop a strategic strategy. Another um, way we're going to go about it is we want to open and pour our hearts into an orphan ministry. We, we're already are partnering with Orphan Care Alliance, but we want to drill down even to that even more. And then we also want to pour into single parents because there are so many single parents today and we want to walk alongside and love those people. And one of the ways we'll do that is through choices with women, but there'll be other opportunities. And then another way is that we want to, in 2007, step in, move into intentionally, as the elders have prayed and the staff have prayed, leaders and volunteers have prayed. We want to step into uh, revitalizing, planting Graceland neighborhood campuses. What I mean by that is, 30 minutes away, 40 minutes away, even maybe an hour, even maybe even longer. We want to see churches that may have closed, may have be closing their doors, keep those doors open. We want to see those churches revitalized. We want to see them become a network, a part of our church. And so to reach more and more and more and more and more people. And this isn't new to this church. This was done years and years ago, and it may look different now than it was back then, but the outcome is still the same. That is to see lives transformed by Jesus. I sat down with one of these churches that Grayson was a part of. And I asked him, I said, would you just share with me some of the things that have been impactful that you've seen as a result of this? And so we sat down over a cup of coffee and I put my phone down to record the audio and he shared with me this story. Listen up. So one day I was at church and this guy from the neighborhood comes in, and he was, at that time, about 65 years old. He was retired. He, had re- he was a retired, uh, successful insurance man. And he comes to the church on his own, and he's, he's all shaken and upset because his wife of 41 years had decided to move out. And she was moving out because she had finally had enough of the affairs that he had been having throughout their 40 years. And for whatever reason, at age 64, she had had enough. So he comes to the church, first time I've ever been in the church, and um, he's just crying and asking for help. What, do we, what does he do? And, you know, and, and so myself and another guy named Kerry McDaniel, who uh, grew up, or, you know, I met at Graceland back in the early 80s. Carrie and I, and we just talked to him and said, you know, well, Richard, first of all, you know, you're in need of a Savior yourself. You know, you need to, you know, you need to recognize you're in need of, of a gospel change, you know, a, a Christ-like transformation. And he was talking about, well, I'm Catholic, well, I'm Catholic, you know. So <laughs> he, you know, he, we, we talked for probably two hours at night. And he didn't receive Christ or anything, but he came back to church, you know, about three or four days later. And then he came back the following Sunday. And in between, I had talked to him two or three times. And then on that third Sunday, 
you know, he gives his life to the Lord, and um, and he's just weeping big time. I mean, in, right in front of everybody. But uh, he just sat there truly repenting. In the rest of the story that he would go on to share with me, this man would seek restoration with his wife, but the years of years of affairs, she, she just couldn't go any further. So they would move forward with a divorce. And then as time would go on, he would get more and more uh, passionate about Jesus and, and, and they began a friendship. And, and eventually that friendship led to them dating again. And as they began to date again, they, they realized that he would have terminal cancer. And as he would discover terminal cancer just a few months later, they would get married. And three days after, four days after he would, they would get married, he would pass away. What a story. And how his family now is still following Jesus even after that. See, this is a life that is transformed. This is a family that's transformed. And this is what I would love to see all over the region. This is what Jesus would love to see all over the region. And that's why we want to, and are so passionate about what this might look like in our future. And there'll be more information that we'll share, but this is where we want and feel like the Lord is leading. And then to see the next generation impacted, we want to see through our grow track development that the next generation poured into. And then I told you about that student weekend. And then through our children's ministry, we want to see daytime vacation Bible school for the first time in a long time. We, we expect a lot more children to participate. And we want to have these events like coffee and play for for uh, young families and children during the week and after school programs that will impact our local elementaries right around our area, utilizing our, our church facilities that are such a great asset to us. And then throughout the nations, not only in this nation, around the world, we want to see churches planted. Uh, in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, we're going to team up with one other church in particular, and we're going to go after planting it's just a, a, a church that is passionate about their community in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And what does it look like? Well, it looks like maybe us going and taking a few trips for those of you who want to be involved in it and praying and then loving on the lead guy and his family that would want to plant that church and bringing them here. And then dis discovering new partnerships that are international as we continue to support our existing partnerships and our local missions. And see, what it all boils down to is a simple life that matters to God. See, you matter to God Others matter to God so very much. And these are people. People with real problems. People that are imperfect. People that need Jesus. There's a guy I want to share about. His name is Rodney Arms. And, and Rodney, I think, is here today. And, and Rodney came because he was stuck in alcohol addiction and he couldn't get out of it. He was spiraling out of control. And so on a last whim, his girlfriend says, hey, let's go to Graceland Church. And he comes and, and he sits in one of our gatherings and he, he, he comes down and he asks for prayer from me. And so we begin to talk about it. And that conversation leads to another conversation. And that conversation, he would say yes to Jesus. And Jesus would begin to give him the strength to take the next steps to see that alcohol addiction broken in his life. And he would get on a plane that next day or Tuesday, I think, and he would head uh, south. And he would go through rehab, and he would get back from rehab a totally transformed person, broken of it, all of his addiction that he couldn't get out on his own. And now he is married today, his wife, that I tell him that, he's, that is way more beautiful than he could, would ever deserve. And they're not perfect, but there's a life that Jesus has transformed. And so, 
as we seek to, to unleash compassion and share Jesus, this would be our heart. And, and as we look at this community in Acts, it ends in verse 47. The conclusion says, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That would be our heart. So as we looked at sharing Jesus, I, I went to our elder team, and then I went to our staff team, and then all of our leaders and all of our volunteers, and I said, what would it look like for you? How many people would you say that you would like to share Jesus with in 2017? And together, those people said they wanted to share Jesus with 5,971 people. I love that. But I want to have an opportunity right here in this place now to give you that same opportunity. There's a little piece of paper that you may have sat on. It's square. And on that is a commitment open area. And you can take a pen. I don't want you to write your name on it. This is just between you and your Heavenly Father. And I'd love for you to write maybe what, how many people would it be that you would like to share Jesus with in 2017 to, to give you a goal. And there would be an opportunity in just a little bit to, to share that with the rest of this community. To, to all together pull together and say we want to share Jesus like never before. Now look, if you're uncomfortable, I don't want to make you feel uncomfortable. You can write a smiley face and put it, you know, drop it in or you don't have to write anything at all. Please don't feel uh, like you have to, but if you feel comfortable to do it, I'd love for you to enter into that. Together, I'd love to share Jesus and love to impact lives not only locally, but also throughout the nations. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for my friends. Thank you so much that they're all here together and, and you love the fact that they're here because you love them. And Lord, as we gather around you and your life and message this morning, I, I pray that I would look at people like you look at people and it would propel me to go, to share your compassion and also to share how much you love them. In your name we pray, amen.